You are listening to New Covenant Fellowship. Jump right in. Go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Um, we are nearing the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we're one week out from finishing up that famous sermon preached by our Lord Jesus himself. And throughout this series entitled The Kingdom, What It Means, our purpose has been to answer the question, okay, what does it mean? If the kingdom has come, and the kingdom is that community or territory over which Christ reigns as king, and we are citizens in the kingdom, what does that mean for us? And according to this morning's text, we'll find that it means that the kingdom is the abode of the righteous. That the kingdom is the community of those who bow the knee to King Jesus and say, Yes, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. All right, we'll begin in Matthew 7, verse 21. We'll read through verse 23. Verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. I don't know about you, but this text is pretty intense. Now this, this appears... On the surface of it, especially taken in isolation, it appears that Jesus is affirming a works-based <laughs> salvation. A salvation that is dependent upon what one does. After all, he says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father. Now, people throughout history have pointed out that there seems to be this stark contrast between these works-based, apparently, teachings of Jesus, and the faith alone, by grace alone, not by works, teaching of Paul the Apostle. Paul, throughout his letters, emphatically declares that it is not by works, but by faith. And perhaps the most famous, at least the most succinct, place that we can find this in Paul's theology is Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 in which Paul says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You may be wondering, okay, you're talking about salvation, Jesus is talking about entering into the kingdom, uh, how are they connected? Well, if you'll recall back in our kind of theological foundation series on the kingdom, the kingdom, what it is, we identified in Matthew 19, verses 16 through 25, that receiving eternal life is synonymous with entering into the kingdom, which is synonymous with being saved. That's why I'm using this term, being saved or salvation, interchangeably with entering into the kingdom. That's why we can say that this 
teaching of Jesus seems to affirm a works-based salvation. Only he who does the will of my Father will enter the kingdom. Well, entering the kingdom is synonymous with being saved. So, on the one hand here, we've got Jesus saying, only he who does the will of my Father, what one does. On the other hand, you've got Paul saying, not by works, not by what you do, but by your doctrine. Not how you behave, but how you believe citizenship in the kingdom is determined. So, is Paul at odds with Jesus? Is, is Paul contradicting Jesus? Well, if he is, then he's also contradicting himself. Because a lot of times, people uh, overlook the fact that Paul tends to agree with Jesus. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter nine, or chapter 6, sorry, verses 9 and 10, Paul says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom? Now your translation, if you have a new New International Version, it'll say, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? That sounds a lot like what Jesus says. Only he who does the will of my Father, not wrongdoers. These ideas go hand in hand. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Now he gives a list of wicked ways, wicked acts that would preclude citizenship from the kingdom in the kingdom. He says, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul, like Jesus, says, wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom. So we see Paul and Jesus agree. <clears throat> essentially they're both saying not everyone who says Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but only he who does the will of my Father for the kingdom is the abode of the righteous now this isn't an isolated incident in Paul's theology this isn't the only place that Paul says something like this in Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 through 21 Paul says the acts of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality Impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Once again, Paul, like Jesus, is essentially declaring, Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom but only he who does the will of my Father. Not he who does this, 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 and this kind of wicked act. For the kingdom is the abode of the righteous. So now is Paul then contradicting himself? Because out of one side of his mouth he's saying, for it is not by works. Now to the other side of his mouth he's saying, people who live like this will not inherit the kingdom. Sounds like that's by works. On the surface, these ideas appear to be contradictory, but I believe that they go hand in hand. I believe that they are best reconciled in James. Turn with me to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. He says... What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith 
but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. And I will show you my faith by what I do. James starts off in this example of a person in need. The person who has faith says, oh, Sorry to hear about that. Hope it works out for you. I mean, I'm not going to do anything for you, but I got faith. I mean, I'm just saying, I'm saved. I got faith. Not willing to do anything for you, but saved by grace. Not by what I do, so I don't really need to do anything. I already say, we're good. Faith without actions is useless, James points out. It's dead. I believe James here is promoting the idea that faith should be a living faith, an active faith. In other words, we are saved by faith alone, but saving faith is not alone should be accompanied by action that manifest that faith. He continues, You believe that there is one God? Good! Even the demons believe that and shudder. If it's just believing, well then, demons believe. Does that grant them citizenship into the kingdom? Then he gives a few examples from the Old Testament that display the fact that faith and deeds go hand in hand. He begins by pointing out the actions of Abraham. He says in verse 20, You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that said Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Abraham offered Isaac on the altar when God told him to. He did the will of the Father who is in heaven. You see, there's a group to whom Jesus will say, You didn't do the will of my Father in heaven. Away from me, you evildoer. I never knew you. Abraham's not amongst those people. Abraham is the one to whom Jesus would say, you did the will of my Father in heaven. And not only do you know me, but I know you. Not only are you simply a servant of God, you're not simply a son of God, you are a friend of God. Now for another example of faith in the Old Testament that led to actions, James says, 
in the same way was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. You find this story in the book of Joshua, but Rahab was a woman who lived in the town of Jericho. And she had caught word that the Israelites were coming through. And she had heard about what the God of Israel did to the Egyptians. And what the God of Israel had done to the other nations that came against Israel on their way up out of Egypt. And she believed that the God of Israel would do that very same thing to her and her people. So when some spies from Israel came into the land of Jericho to check things out, she welcomed them into her home. And she said, look, I've heard about your God. And I know that he is about to put the smack down on me and my people. So when he does, please remember me and my household. Her faith led to her actions. If she didn't really believe that about God, she probably would have said, not interested. She was very interested. Her faith led to actions. Her faith was manifest by her deeds. Her doctrine drove her actions. Her belief affected her behavior. And I believe that when we put it all together, that's what we get. We get that Faith and deeds go hand in hand. That faith is the root. Action is the fruit. <coughs> Doctrine should drive our actions. Our belief should affect our behavior. Again, not, not saved by works. We're saved by faith alone, but saving faith is not alone. It's accompanied by action. Faith and deeds go hand in hand. Now, earlier I shortchanged Paul a little bit because I didn't include the full context but in those passages that I quoted from Paul earlier we'll see that Paul is essentially reconciling faith and deeds in the same manner as James right? so let's go back to what, what I ripped out of context from Paul let's, let's do his text justice and include the context and see how Paul also reconciles faith and deeds and points out that faith is the root that leads to the fruit of actions. In Ephesians 2, I stopped short of verse 10. I read, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves, this is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. But if we will continue, we would see that Paul says, For we are God's workmanship, His handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So Paul connects faith and deeds much like James does. Saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. It's accompanied by actions. It's accompanied by one doing good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Doing the will of our Father in heaven. The root is faith, and that leads to one doing the good works, the fruit. So we aren't saved by doing good works, but we are saved to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now to borrow from my favorite uh, theologian, uh, C.H. Spurgeon, 
He puts it this way. In the Old Covenant, it was do this and live. But in the New Covenant, it's live and do this. In the Old Covenant, the idea was if you continue in all of these commands that I gave you today, you will have life. Do and live. But in the New Covenant, life is a gift of God. And upon receiving that gift, we are then free to do the good works that follow. Now earlier I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, but I left off verse 11. In verses 9 and 10, Paul says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who have sex with other men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Look what he says next. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Look, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom. Only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Some of you were like this. But you were washed. You were regenerated. By the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, you have been made new. You have been given a new heart. And in the kingdom, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. So to have been given a new heart and a new identity in Christ, recreated in His image, one now has a new nature. The implication is, let us therefore live according to our new identity. You used to be this way. You used to walk in these wicked ways. But you've been sanctified. You've been regenerated. You've been justified. You've been saved. You've been changed by the power of God through faith. And now the Holy Spirit dwells in you and does a supernatural work of sanctification in you to change who you are from the inside out. That fruit of good deeds will flow from the root of faith. That is taking place in your heart. Therefore, go and do the will of your Father who is in heaven. Much like Jesus says to the woman caught in adultery, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Don't live according to the ways that you used to live. Walk according to your new identity. In Christ, because the kingdom is the abode of the righteous. Walk, therefore, in righteousness. Do the will of your Father. Now, in Galatians 5, the third and final text that I took from Paul here and uh, left off the rest of it, let's, let's look at that one in context. Uh, I began reading in verse 20, uh, I don't remember where I began reading, maybe verse 19 or something like that, but essentially he says, the, fruit, uh, the, the, the works of the flesh are obvious. And he lists off all, all these sins, drunkenness. Um, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, envy, fits of rage, all these things. He goes on and says, verse 22, but, now to contrast the deeds of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, <clears throat> faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have 
crucified the flesh with its desires and passions. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So, much like he said in 1 Corinthians 6, so he says here now. These are the deeds of the flesh. These are the fruit of the Spirit. Those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. They've put that to death. That's the old them that died and they've been born again. They've risen out of the ashes as a new creation in Christ. They have been made new, given a new identity and should therefore put off those old ways of the flesh. Put those deeds of the flesh to death with the old self. Keep in step with the Spirit. Serving one another in love. Now, I want to be clear here. I, I don't believe that Paul, in either of these passages, is declaring, here's a list of sins, and if you're guilty of any one of those sins, done. Give me that ticket into the heaven. Give me, give, give me that back. Done. I don't think he's saying that. I believe that what he's saying is that those who walked in wickedness as a general way of life, not those who sin here and there, but those who walk in wickedness as a general way of life are not the kind of people to whom the kingdom belongs. They're not the kind of people who generally walk in a way that does the will of the Father in heaven as a way of life. So I believe he's talking about the way one lives as a whole, as the fruit of the root that is within in other words, I believe that what we see throughout the scriptures is that one's nature dictates and drives his general way of life. Okay? <clears throat> Consider fish and birds, for example. Fish swim, birds fly. Right? But every once in a while, you may see a bird flying up in the air and then just dive down into the water for a catch. doesn't stay under the water for very long. Next thing you know, it's back out in the air. Does it, in that moment, cease to be a bird and then become a fish because it's swimming now? No. Conversely, a fish, by nature, swims. But every now and then, you may see a fish leap up out of the water dive right back down into the water. In that moment, flying through the air, does it cease to be a fish and then become a bird because, oh, caught you flying? No. doesn't cease to be a fish. If you look at a bird's nature in general, its general way of life, its nature is a creature of the heavens, a creature of the air. It flies by nature. And if it does dip down into the water, it can't spend much time there. It'll drown. It'll be outside of its element. It can't be outside of its element for very long because its nature is not to dwell under the water in the depths. Its nature is to fly. Likewise, if you've ever been fishing, caught a fish, pull it up onto the boat, flopping around all over the place, can't spend a whole lot of time out of its element die. 
Well, I believe that Jesus and Paul are speaking of wickedness and righteousness in like manner. The kingdom is the abode of the righteous. The wicked will not inherit the kingdom. Does the wicked person have the capacity to do good things? Yes. But his nature is to walk in wickedness. That's a general way of life. Because one's nature dictates and drives one's general way of living. He can do things out of character once in a while. But his nature dictates his character and his course of life. In the same way, the righteous in various times various seasons slip into sin. The righteous may at some point not do the will of their Father in heaven. Do they then cease to be amongst the righteous? Do they then cease to be a child of God and lose citizenship in the kingdom? By no means. For you and I who have been taken from the depths of depravity and given a new and heavenly nature by which we soar in the heavenly realms, we do have the capacity and the freedom to dive back down into the depths of sin. Whereas at one point, perhaps, we were quite comfortable there. Whereas at one point, perhaps, we were quite at home there. We were in our element. Not so anymore. Sin is not our element. We're not at home in sin. And much like the bird who spends any time underwater, every passing moment that you and I spend walking in wicked ways, it gets harder and harder to breathe and we move closer and closer to the death out of which we have been rescued. And as citizens in the kingdom, since sin is not our element, we're not at home there. We're at home when we're walking according to the Spirit, when we're doing the will of our Father who is in heaven. And the best litmus test to kind of let us know when we're not doing the will of our Father in heaven is that conviction from the Holy Spirit, that little nudge that goes, I should not have done that. That was not kind. I should not have said that. That was prideful. I should not have thought that. That was selfish. For walking in sin is not to be in our element. Our element is to do the will of our Father. Out of the heart that has been regenerated and made new in Christ will flow forth, generally speaking, as a general way of life, the fruit of righteousness. That is according to the will of our Father who is in heaven. Just as Jesus said in last week's passage about the false prophets that one will know them by their fruit, so also one will know a disciple of Jesus by his or her fruit. I mean, Jesus said in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, he says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, by this, not by wearing Christian t-shirts, not by having a fish on the back of your car, not by a bumper sticker, by this, 
all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You will know them by their fruit. Faith is the root deeds, actions, service, love is the fruit. Now to illustrate this, imagine with me the following scenario. You're looking for a job. And so you find this posting online for a customer service representative at a, at a telecommunications company. And the job requirements are listed. <clears throat> One must be able to speak well, to communicate effectively with customers and coworkers and management. One must be able to actively listen, to not interrupt to give full attention to what other people are saying and to fully understand and comprehend what is being communicated. They must be oriented toward service, actively pursuing ways to help others. They must have the gift of communicating through writing, through email effectively, critical thinking, using logic and reason to come up with solutions, and counter-proposals for situations and problems and approaches. So you think, I can, I can do that. So you go in for an interview, and you first sit down with the HR director. And the HR director tells you, all right, not everyone who comes and applies for this job is going to get it, but only he who does the requirements as prescribed in the job description. Okay? Okay, cool. That's fine, that's fine. So your interview with the HR director comes to a close and she sends you off into the uh, conference room to have an interview with the one to whom you would be directly reporting, the manager of the customer service representatives. Now, the manager tells you, look, I'm concerned with one thing and one thing alone, the gift. Do you have the gift? Because the only way you're going to get in here is if you have the gift of customer service. And so you're thinking, okay, right, the HR director said only he who does this, 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 and this will enter, but you're telling me it's all about the gift. If I have the gift, I'm in. Which is it? Is it, is it the gift or is it doing these things? And so you get a call back for a second interview, and, and in the second interview, you, you get with the manager, and, and you say, if I may be so bold, I have a question for you. I, I'm a little confused because the HR director told me that unless I can do this, 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 and this consistently, won't, won't get the spot, but, but you told me it's all about the gift, and if I have the gift of customer service, then I'll get the job. I'm a little confused. Can, can you help me out? And so the manager says, sure. Sure. Uh, if you have the gift of customer service, then your nature will be that you will tend toward being somebody who communicates effectively, somebody who does not interrupt others, somebody who is capable of critical thinking and evaluation and proposing solutions to problems. You'll be good at that by nature. Now, you may have a bad day here and there. You may botch a communication or be impatient with a customer or uh, interrupt somebody. But those are the exceptions. Generally speaking, your general manner will be effective at communicating effective at critical thinking. So what I'm looking for is somebody with the gift. Somebody who does these things by nature. 
Because if they have the gift, that's the root, and the fruit of that will be to fulfill these requirements as listed in the job description. So both and. If you have the gift, then you will manifest the fruit of the gift by fulfilling these requirements. Well, in the same way, one enters the kingdom by the gift, the gift of eternal life received by grace through faith. And if one has the gift, his nature will be to do the will of his Father in heaven. Sin here and there will be the exception, not the general way of life, because his nature will dictate his general way of life. You see, if one has, if one does not have the gift, then his nature is going to be to say, not your will, but my will be done. To walk according to the flesh, but the kingdom belongs to the righteous, those who do the will of the Father. So let's recap in closing, in light of our purpose of this series, what does it mean? What does it mean? Well, it means, first of all, saved by faith alone, but saving faith is not alone. It's accompanied by action. It means that faith is at the root. Actions are the fruit. Doctrine should drive our actions and our belief should affect our behavior. And for those who have been regenerated by the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit should follow. We are to live according to our new identity and walk in righteousness. We are to put off the deeds of the flesh, the former way of life in which we used to walk. We are to live a life of faith expressing itself through love, manifesting the virtues and the fruit of righteousness, such as love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, honesty, integrity, purity, sincerity, consideration, submission, contentment, thankfulness, truth, and any other virtue that is consistent with the character of Christ. And finally, it means that not only do we know Him, but He knows us. We think about it this way. You sat next to Brad Pitt on a plane, or Justin Bieber, <laughs> and so you go around telling everybody, I know Justin Bieber. I know Justin Bieber. I know Justin. I know him. You know how many people are going to say that? Hmm. The masses. The real question is not, do you know Justin Bieber? But if I were to go to Justin Bieber and say, hey, you know Adriana Lamont? What would he say? <laughs> yes. So the beautiful thing is that for those of us who are citizens in the kingdom, not only do we know him, but he knows us. He knows us. And like Abraham, we're not just servants of the king. We're not just children of the king. We are called friends. And as his friends, as those who love him, let us obey him. Let us do the will of our Father who is in heaven. Because the kingdom is the abode of the righteous. It is the place, it is the territory of those who bow the knee to King Jesus and say, Yes, Lord, not 
my will, but your will be done. Let's pray.